Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So today we're doing something a little different. Uh, we're going to be doing a deep dive into one of Magic's early sets. Uh, it is the dark. We figure it's kind of appropriate in the time of year that we're in. Um, but it's a, it's a really interesting set. Uh, it kind of departs from how a lot of early Magic design was done. Um, you know, the of course, the base set was what it was, but the expansions prior to the dark, um, you know, either had some sort of like, they, they kind of had a mechanical through line. So like Arabian Nights was top down design adapting 1001 Arabian Nights. And Antiquities was all very artifact focused. You could see it on a lot of the cards. And then, of course, Legends, you know, introduced the legendary type. The, the big focus of the set was all these legendary creatures and legendary lands and other legendary permanents. So that was, you know, the, the clear mechanical focus of the set. It made up almost 20% of the cards. But with the dark, it, it really isn't so much a mechanical or a mechanics-oriented set. Uh, it's really more about tone, and that tone is, of, of course, a very dark tone. It really shows you the darker side of all the colors. And so we wanted to kick off our series with this, this interesting departure in the history of magic, really trying something different. And so we're going to be going through this by talking about some of the mechanical themes of the set, because there are some, but it's not very loud. Yeah. <laughs> and and also just talk about the cards that ended up impacting Commander, the ones that ended up becoming format staples. Uh, and we'll just sort of go through and also talk about our favorites, because it's a set that uh, we both, I think, have a lot of love for. For a long time, it was my favorite set, but we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. Before we really jump into this topic, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's jump in. Overall, what are your feelings about the dark? What do you think about the set as a whole? So it's one of the early magic sets where it it's pretty small. So like my first impressions of the dark were like as a child. Um, or like a, I guess I was like eleven or twelve or something like that, <laughs> and seeing um seeing these magic cards and like I remember the vibe on a lot of the cards a lot more than uh, other things I was seeing. Like I remember seeing an angry mob and like the art isn't anything like special, but like something about it is like kind of creepy. Like the the perspective, the way that it's really zoomed out, the way that you're seeing mostly like the city and like this one poor guy singled out in the front like there's something about like a lot of the art and there's um a lot of drew tucker art who's very like watercolory atmospheric so that was the thing that like i remember the most and there's a lot of fire on a lot of the white cards too i remember that a lot i remember seeing a witch hunter it's a white card but you it looks a lot like like proto flesh taker mm -hmm. <laughs> for those listening so that that's kind of my first impressions of it was like everything is very moody and I remember that like as a young kid. Yeah, my my impression of the set is that it's almost um it's almost a different game. Yeah. Or or rather it's like in a different genre. Um like it sort of asks the question what if magic was a horror game rather than just a fantasy game? And that really comes through on a lot of the art. In some ways, it's a lot gorier than, or like on several of the cards, it's, it's just like uh, much gorier than we'd seen prior to that. If you look at Tividar's Crusade, if you look at Amnesia, it's it's really yeah. like towing the line of what's acceptable. And then, and also touching on art, this is really where like Ron Spencer kind of got a lot of of assignments. Prior to this, he'd only done Terror back in Alpha. But, you know, when they were looking to do a, a set that's really dark in tone, you know, they pulled him out of their Rolodex and you can see like he's really doing some some creepy, eerie art in here. You, you look at Word of Binding and the thing being bound is just this like eldritch nightmare beast, uh, you know, teeth and tentacles everywhere. Uh, you look at Bog Rats, Bog Imp, Marsh Viper, just very filthy scary looking art and that's you'll see you'll see a lot of that looking through the set so that's kind of like 
the tone. That's how it's different from prior sets. You want to talk a little bit about the mechanics or at least like one type of design that we ended up seeing a lot of in the set? I guess one of the like mechanics, the set themes that it kind of had, Nick has described as cards that do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, you spend a lot of mana um, and you give your, it basically the, most of the time they give your opponent an option, but that option is like very, very clearly like in one of the two choices favors where like one of the choices is like what if you sacrifice every one of your lands and then the other choice is like what if i just paid a life instead (laughs) and the cards just ended up playing pretty poorly yeah i mean i'll read off a couple of these but you'll get kind of get the idea oh man hold on i'm gonna need to get up some oracle text on these (sighs) yeah (laughs) so one of them is cleansing it's, it's the one that Zach alluded to. White, white, white for a sorcery. For each land, destroy that land unless any player pays one life. So, you know, for the, the first six words of it, it looks a lot like an Armageddon. But, I mean, a land is just so much more valuable than one life that you're going to imagine that you're going to be happy to pay a five, six, seven life, keep as many lands as possible. A similar card that really is is trying to do almost the same thing is Erosion. It's blue, blue, blue for an enchantment aura with enchant land. At the beginning of the upkeep of enchanted lands controller, destroy that land unless that player pays one or one life. So not only can you get out of it by paying life, you can also just tap it for mana or tap another land for mana to keep it. It's uh, really, really generous in, in terms of allowing your opponents to get out of it and and i see that they were trying to go for something flavorful with like oh unless you really maintain this thing it's just gonna erode away but these kinds of designs they, they just seem kind of like cowardly to me yeah. like, <laughs> like they're worried about making something that's too powerful so they just give you or rather give your opponent an out so oh you know it's it's not going to be too bad because they they get a choice and there's a handful of other cards in the set that do the same thing. We're not going to go over all of them, but mm-hmm. not just one, but like some several cards with multiple ways that your opponents can get out of whatever situation. Okay, I'll talk about one more. Um, yeah, this is Worms of the Earth. It is two black, black, black for an enchantment. Players can't play lands. Lands can't enter the battlefield. And at the beginning of each upkeep, any player may sacrifice two lands or have Worms of the Earth deal five damage to that player. If a player does either, destroy Worms of the Earth. Worms of the Earth. So you can see, again, your opponent can either pay life or sacrifice lands to get out of it. So it's like the first couple lines on this card look really gnarly, but it's just not really an issue because of this escape clause. And it kind of makes me think of it makes me think of a, a mechanic that came up in later sets, cumulative upkeep. Because I always thought of the cumulative upkeep cards as, again, being kind of cowardly design. Like, I don't know how to properly balance this effect, or I don't know if it's fun to, for it to stick around for a long time. So I'm just going to make it so it's impossible to keep it around forever. It's the same sort of design impulse that leads to both kinds of cards. Yeah. My guess was because this came out in 94. This is when they were like really trying to like crank up production and get a lot more sets out the door. The Dark was designed by a lot of early magic designers, like Ice Age designers, the Alpha designers. Um, Can I say one, one thing about this design team? Yeah, go for it. So the, the design team was Jester Mirfors, Steve Bishop, Glenn Elliott, and Beverly Marshall Sailing. Uh, none of them actually designed any other sets. All oh, that's them, really funny. Yeah, all of them are one and done. There was a development team-ish with Scaphalias, Jim Lim, Chris Page, Dave Petty. Those are all folks who have worked on very many sets. But the the core designer, the core design team, uh, were all you know pretty inexperienced uh, and and didn't really go on to work on a lot of sets. I mean, Jesper, of course, was like art director around the time, so he, he continued in that role. But as a designer, this was his only. Uh, only credit that's actually really interesting that the art is what stuck out to me as a kid then 
the set that was designed by the uh, art director had the art that like really popped in my brain as a child. Mm-hmm. That's pretty interesting. But um, this was kind of the wild west of magic design. Set themes are like one and done. Cantrips weren't in every set, <laughs> mm-hmm. like stuff like that. They thought cantrip was a mechanic that they had to like scarcely use. They're like, no, no, no. We used cantrip two sets ago. We can't use it for this set. We gotta mm-hmm. wait to bring it back. <laughs> really, what like the dark seems like to me was like, okay, well, we need a new set. Uh, what do we look at? Oh, I don't know. What about like witch hunts and like bog beasts and stuff like that? Like, what about like spooky things? And I think that they delivered pretty well mm-hmm. <laughs> in that regard as a playable set. Like a lot of the cards are um, some of my like pet cards there there's one card in particular we'll get to later that people still play with but um i think overall one of the the things about these cards and the designs is that it seems like when you're talking about like you said these are very safe designs it seems like now looking at that it's because these were very uh novice magic designers not to say that the set as a whole like was bad or anything like that but like having this out on these designs is probably not a good thing Mm-hmm. And it probably just comes from like the inexperience. They're like, "Oh crap! Okay, well here's a magic set, and here's an Armageddon. Oh, but uh, don't make it too bad." Yeah, let's sort of talk about our next category of cards, uh, that, or rather, like another uh, mechanical theme we see in the set. Uh, and this is this is kind of prioritizing flavor over function. So there's a lot of cards, you know, we, we sort of hinted at this with Erosion earlier, but there are a lot of cards that like really go hard on trying to execute some sort of flavor on the cards. And they're, they're so laser focused on getting this design to match what, what the, the concept is that they don't really think about like how it affects gameplay yeah. and like <laughs> whether the resulting card is actually interesting or something you'd ever want to do. So we've got a couple examples here. One is, say, uh, Giant Shark. So this is five and a blue for a 4-4 creature shark. It can't attack unless defending player controls an island because, of course, it lives in the water. When you control no islands, sacrifice Giant Shark because, of course, it lives in the water. When (laughs) When it blocks or becomes blocked by a creature that has been dealt damage this turn, so when it smells blood... It gets plus two plus O and gains trample until end of turn. But the thing is, like, you know, it's not very common for a creature to take damage prior to combat damage. So you'd have to kind of like build your deck to, you know, with prodigal sorcerers or whatever just to get your giant shark off. And even then, the reward is not amazing. Uh, like, you, you still have this creature that is really hard to attack with some of the time. Like, 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 Let's just say you're playing against a mono green opponent, or you're just not relying reliably playing against blue players. You need to run some way in your deck to make your opponent's lands into islands, uh, and you need to have some sort of prodigal sorcerer or, or ping effect. So, like looking at the card, you can tell what's going on. Like all of those lines of text make sense and like reinforce the concept. You you end up with a final product that's not something you want to put in a deck. A really quick anecdote, like, actually remember Giant Shark in particular as a card as a child and, like, reading it. And, like, I didn't know necessarily, like, the terms flavor and stuff at the time. And and also for clarification, I didn't start playing, like, in the dark. I started playing around, like, Invasion. And when I say playing around Invasion, I mean, like, someone gave me some cards and I played with those. I wasn't, like, up to date on what was going on. So it was kind of like an exploration I'd go to the card shop with like $4 that I scrounged up that week and like buy a pack from the comic shop. And mm-hmm. so like the dark cards were like not a good deal <laughs> because they the packs were small and um expensive. <laughs> and uh so it was mostly seeing like brothers, like friends brothers with the dark cards and and giant shark was one of them where like i remember looking at it and i didn't know the word like flavor at the time but i just remember like reading it and going like oh that's so cool it's like a shark <laughs> like like <laughs> it is a shark and never played with it never once was like all right like i'm gonna make this work 
but remember that experience of reading it and being like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Like seeing like how design could match my expectation of what a creature could be, you know, that was Mm -hmm. something the dark nailed for me. (laughs) Yeah, they did do a really good job of that. But uh, as you'll see with this next card, it is something that clearly communicates the flavor, but (laughs) it just sort of leaves you asking like, when would I ever want to do this? Yeah. Uh, do, do you want to read this next one off? This next card that we're talking about is incredibly flavorful and has great Quentin Hoover art. It is Grave Robbers. It is a 1-1 one, one human rogue for one black black, three mana. It has black, tap, exile target artifact card from a graveyard, gain to life. Um, and if you want to pick one up, it is a sweet, uh, sweet and easy 13 bucks right now, so... Uh, yeah. yeah i mean this is another one it's like uh oh they are stealing things from out of the graveyard and and yeah. you know and selling them or whatever you're getting some sort of uh compensation as a result but this is a rare in the set it like the themes of the set don't really have anything to do with exiling artifacts from a graveyard although i guess there is a tormod script yeah. um but it, it's just like when would you ever want to do this like like <laughs> what what decks are you worried about that just have a ton of artifact cards in their graveyard that they're recurring? Yeah. <laughs> I guess uh no, I can't think of anything. I think it is literally just it, they're like, "Oh, this is a cool design. Like they're robbing graves." And mm-hmm. everyone was like, "Nice." <laughs> and then they printed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just needed somebody on their like design team who could say like when would this ever happen? And that would eliminate, you know, a handful of cards from out of the set right off the bat. The next era of design is like the block design, right? The when they were like, wait, 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 what if we had these sets work together? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what if the cards interacted with one another? I, so I this... know. Yeah. Yeah. You, like you could say, oh, this is like, you know, uh, something that play design put into like, really control the the argivian archaeologist meta but it's like that's probably not i think that's given him no. too much credit yeah. yeah yeah exactly i think this is exactly like you said like this card is just a cool design that they thought would be cool and put it in the set and i mean all things considered again like it's totally a flavor win the art is awesome uh it's not even like that terrible a rate it's just not doing anything that you want like some standard at the time or something like that this probably would have been fine but like i don't think there is ever a point in time that i needed to do this yeah yeah (laughs) which is pretty funny (laughs) so there's one more in this set that even perplexed me as a child that like is super flavorful but i never ever really wanted to play can can i read that one off too is that okay yeah go for it so this one is called Goblin Rock Sled, and I, his little goggles get me every time, ever since I was a kid. So uh, this is a 3-1 goblin for two mana, one and a red. It has trample, and it says, Goblin Rock Sled doesn't untap during your untap step if it attacked during your last turn. Goblin Rock Sled can't attack unless defending player controls a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so I you remember looking at this and being like, wow, this is cool. Because I really like goblins, and then reading that that last line and being like, "Well, none of my friends play red decks," because <laughs> it was again, I was a kid, and be, and and you knew the meta when you're a kid. You're like, "Oh, okay, Ryan has the elf deck, and Ryan's brother has the sliver deck, and my friend has the mono white deck. Like, this isn't gonna do anything." <laughs> like, yeah, like like you you can see sort of what it's going for with the flavor, like. Oh, it can't attack twice in a row because it has to carry it back up the hill. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, like with this the second line, like can't attack unless defending player controls a mountain. What really matters is that you've got the mountain and then like yeah. <laughs> you can go down it and it doesn't matter if they've got a planes or whatever. It'll just kind of like keep going on the momentum, I feel like. Whatever. Another goofy flavor driven design that like probably won't do anything i actually kind of lament this card because this actually could have been like a card we talked about if it didn't have that last line of text Mm -hmm. like this could have been like a player in like goblin tribal list like a 3-1 trample is like huge for goblin decks and 
there's so many like goblin pump spells and the lords and whatnot that like I could have I could imagine a world in which goblin rock sled uh, <laughs> was a card people talked about and remembered fondly, but instead it's just uh, this guy's funny goggles as yeah. he cruises down this <laughs> hill. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on to another theme in the set, and this is like theme in very. I mean, this is a very loose theme. It's it's really um, certainly not intended, but it's it's disregard for the color pie. So really, they they were trying to capture this like dark tone, and these were all novice designers. They probably didn't have a really clear idea of where things should go in or or like what effects should go in which colors and this is especially clear when it comes to white but like they were trying to find the dark side of every color and white up to that point really hadn't been very dark it was sort of like you know valor and honor and justice and all those things um so rather than like trying to find the darkness within white's existing mechanics it was just oh we'll just give white you know mechanics from other colors yeah <laughs> to make it feel like transgressive and evil um so you want to read off some of these cards we've got these these kind of egregious color yeah. pie breakers oh yeah and these are pretty bangers some of them they're pretty funny so we got fire and brimstone is one of the first ones it is an instant um that costs five mana it's three white white fire and brimstone Deals four damage to target player who attacked this turn and four damage to you. Much nicer. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is mono white burn. <laughs> yep. This is like that's that's hilarious. And the art is one like I was talking about remembering. It's it's uh, a priest in like a weird cavern mm-hmm. or like a hall where everything is on fire. <laughs> There's like this lake of either magma or blood in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty gnarly, and um, that kind of continues on through some of these other cards. Um, can I read off this next one too? Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. So this is Holy Light. Um, this one actually, I did have a friend who would play against me at the time. Holy Light is a three mana instant, two and a white. All non-white creatures get minus one, minus one until end of turn. I guess you could. <laughs> This is the precursor to Elish Norn, I guess, like mm-hmm. to the the New Phyrexians that did this. There's a few of them that gave minus toughness or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Not something that we think of when we think of white cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last one uh, or the last white card we're going to bring up. This is probably the most egregious color pie break in the entire set because <laughs> it's doing two things that neither of which makes sense in this color. <laughs> Uh, this is Witch Hunter. It is two white white for a one one. Oh boy, I am gonna have to really just have should have Oracle up this entire time. I, every time I like try to take a chance on reading the card, it's always wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, two white white for a one one creature human cleric. It has tap. Witch Hunter deals one damage to target player or planeswalker. One white white tap. Return target creature an opponent controls to its owner's hand. Uh, so it's white bounce and white direct damage. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just so totally out of the color pie, but you can sort of see the flavor. It's like, it's like banishing something and it's like punishing something. Um, but it's just like, that's so not how those things would be interpreted in the modern color pie. This would be like, some sort of banisher priest effect if it were to be reprinted these days yeah yeah definitely and and definitely i think white could execute on this flavor nowadays but it would not look anything like this mm-hmm. card looks so this next one is one that stuck with me too this is a, a blue card that kind of goobers up the color pie it's called amnesia you might have recognized it from your local bulk bin because it's been sitting there since uh, the dark came out Three blue, blue, blue for a sorcery. So six mana. Target player reveals their hand and discards all non-land cards. And this actually, I guess, isn't in the bulk bin anymore. This is a $5 card now. Um, but this is not a blue effect. <laughs> this, is, this is very much not a blue effect. Yeah, I think that sort of what they were going for with this is just like, 
well, let's make a let's make a card for amnesia, uh, and then like messing with the mind somehow that got them to blue. It it's it sort of makes sense, like like psychic attacks or whatever have been flavored as blue, but they they just ended up in a place where it's like this is a black card. This should just be a black card. I think that's what's going on with a lot of color pie breaks. Like they don't really ask themselves like if you like change white and make it evil like is it not just black at that point and if you like take this blue psychic ability but make it so that you're attacking the mind and doing something aggressive to the mind is it not just a black card then but they're just not asking those kinds of questions in retrospect like this was it it makes sense that that is the questions they started asking but in the at the time like again in the wild west of magic i I can imagine they're really like hyper focused on like let's make sure every card like looks as cool as possible (laughs) and so probably like they were looking at this and they're like oh this is like this is a messed up card for blue (laughs) and sent it to print but it's not really something blue should have access to (laughs) Mm -hmm. i kind of agree with mara like one of the ways designers have chosen to represent that a color is bad at something is to make it just really inefficient. And I just don't actually think that that's a good way to show that a color is bad at something. I think that like, it's cool when we get these breaks, like as a player, because I'm like, Oh, cool. Like maybe I'll find a corner case to use this in. But as far as like color pie, like the way you should show a color is bad at something or doesn't do something is by not doing it. (laughs) Like, just not giving access to it. I don't even know if this is, like, a, such a terrible execution. Like, look at Wit's End. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Wit's End costs seven mana. Target player discards their hand. Like, this is... I mean, you get all the relevant stuff for, for one mana less. This is not terrible if you just want to, like, knock somebody out of a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely. Especially, like, in... When I was playing... I, I Even before Commander, I played mostly casual multiplayer. And this would have been, like absolutely devastating if we had like known that this was like good (laughs) we didn't have like good assessments of uh card quality card power we just kind of played what we liked so if we had realized that this would just like ruin the sliver player or something like that then we probably would have played it but Mm -hmm. um yeah (laughs) there are a few well i guess let's just talk about one more we got one more card in this category which is actually pretty pretty funny also yeah, this is Sisters of the Flame. It is one wet red red. Oh boy, I gotta look up creature type on this. Yeah. <laughs> Warlock. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. All right. Sisters of the Flame is one red red for a two-two creature human shaman, and it has tap add red. Uh so it's a mana dork in red. Uh again, this is like I mean, it's color pie breaking, but it's also like just being kind of a slave to flavor. Like oh this is uh some sort of some sort of witch or or spellcaster that creates flame okay well clearly it would be a red creature that makes red mana and and nobody was there to tell tell him like does does that sound like a red card or could it just be like a green card that taps for red mana I don't know yeah definitely they're like hmm well what does she do she conjures flame. Send it to print. <laughs> no further discussion. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and here we are. Which is, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like it's it it is cool. I definitely played a Sister of Flame in a deck when I started playing Commander, and and that's actually something that we'll get into um, in this next section. Actually, we're gonna talk about staples that are still from the dark because there are still some cards that are here, and and uh, I definitely have played cards from the dark even today especially when i started playing commander but there's a few that people are still jamming uh, and there's a card that people maybe oh i don't know i guess ultimate masters came out uh, or uh was it masters 25 with the watermarks so maybe people know this more than they used to but there's a probably the most powerful card from the dark that people still play Mm -hmm. if we're talking about staples from the dark this is the one i think most people think of it is blood moon it is a three man enchantment, two and a red. All non basic lands are mountains, just period. And uh, you can imagine 
why this is pretty good. If you've been playing a long time, you probably remember getting messed up by one of these <laughs> in whatever multicolor deck you're playing. So Blood Moon uh, is cool and flavorful, but also like was just powerful. And uh, it was in the dark. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, a card that's um, continued to be relevant for decades after its original printing. Not only being something that's really important to modern, but also in Commander, it's it's one of the most compelling reasons to be like heavy red or mono red color identity, um, it, and also like one of the best ways to punish uh, really greedy mana bases that are just you know five color or something. So it's a fantastic card, and it's hard to tell like what the original design impulse was, but it's it's definitely one of the gems to come out of this set. Hmm. Um. Another one that you probably have seen or definitely played that I don't think people remember because the the Ravnica art that it was reprinted in uh, original Ravnica mm-hmm. was uh, pretty cool and stark. It was I think it was Nails, um, but I I can't remember. Um, but this is Elves of Deep Shadow, and uh, talk about an evil elf. This is a one one for a green. It's an elf, and it taps to add a black, and you lose a life. Classic old mana dork it's pretty good (laughs) pretty cool (laughs) yeah i mean this is this was not always relevant in like constructive format like you're not going to see this in like a a modern elves list but in commander where you've got your high life total like paying a few points of of life or taking a few points of damage doesn't really matter compared to the benefit of having one more turn one mana dork that can immediately accelerate you to turn three mm-hmm. um, so it's a, a fantastic card and i've put it in it a ton of like green black x decks in my commander career yeah definitely it, it, it's a uh, classic and the old art actually it, it is jesper myfers who is one of the designers and the art director and uh, he just did portraits pretty well so sisters of flame that we talked about is just another like woman probably listens to kate bush wearing like a necklace Mm-hmm. And then uh, Elves of Deep Shadow is just another woman staring at you. <laughs> but she's got a questionably pointy ear somewhere in there. So, yeah. Um, but it you definitely. She's black aligned because she's got black hair and wearing black blouse and. Yeah, black necklace. Black eye- yeah, black lipstick, yeah. black eyeliner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but definitely like not. It's it's good art. It's just uh, we got a, another banger portrait. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the next card is there's a few cards that people are playing a lot of still from the dark that i don't know if they remember well this one actually because it was the only printing for a long time but this is felwar stone Mm -hmm. so felwar stone was originally printed in the dark and it is a two mana artifact it says tap add one mana of any color an opponent could produce to your mana pool or opponent's land could produce to your mana pool sorry obviously this is still a commander staple this is just a two mana rock enters untapped makes a mana probably makes a mana that's relevant to you um it's just good (laughs) and uh it again wasn't necessarily relevant until commander kind of came out this was just kind of a card that sat around because there's just better things to do two mana rocks aren't like super important in most formats um but it turns out two mana rocks are very important when you have a four mana commander. So uh, it became especially good in in the format that we all play. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, now this is a... I, I want to say this is like the first mana rock. Uh, oh, the Soul Ring, right? There's all oh, oh sorry, stuff. sorry. You're right. You're, there, there is the, the alpha ones. Um, but see I'm, I'm trying to think of like early mana ro- or like what we think of as like the the two mana taps for one mana design like oh yeah this is actually the prototypical uh like two cost mana rock there the, prior to this that this is the first time that we got a two cost mana rock that tapped for one mana um and that of course inspired dozens of designs since then so it's it's really been an influential card in in magic design and certainly has you know it it still sees plenty of play and in plenty of play groups this will be a five color rock so it's a fantastic card from this set and do you want to move on to the next one yeah so um this next one is another banger they've reprinted it a bunch of times now just because of how how useful this effect is and how just 
non-offensive the card is that does it, but mm-hmm. this is Tormod's Crypt. So Tormod's Crypt is a zero mana artifact that has tap, sacrifice Tormod's Crypt, exile target player's graveyard, and it's just a good card. Yep. <laughs> like, I, I remember this card because, like, anything that had zero anywhere on the card, like, fascinated me as a child. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, wait, I don't have to pay anything for it? No, Ornithopter's a zero two flyer what like <laughs> it was crazy and so torment's crypt was like i was fascinated by it and like didn't know what to do with it i'm like but none of my friends do anything crazy from the graveyard um cuz i was the guy who was doing crazy stuff in the graveyard but um <laughs> yeah definitely still just a good design like this is just a solid card yeah there's there's plenty of people who are playing it fairly as like a cheap way to hose graveyards especially in like non-black colors who just don't have quite as many options for graveyard hate. Um, And then, of course, it being a zero-mana artifact makes it relevant to decks that care especially about that, like uh, Jorah, Weatherlight Captain. It's it's great to have zero-mana artifacts that can also uh, contribute to your game plan or like, you know, put the hurt on your opponents in some way. This is just a a fantastic card that uh, still sees plenty of play in Commander. And then we have one more card in this this section that is like very popular on uh, EDA Trek, and I think <laughs> thank God this was an uncommon in the set because <laughs> it would have been like one million dollars if it was not. This is Maze of If, mm-hmm. so this is a land, uh, and it does not tap for mana. Instead, it taps to untap target attacking creature. It is no longer attacking. So, yeah, this just negates someone's attack. It screws over Voltron. It does so much for the format. Um, it, it gives your creature pseudo vigilance. Mm-hmm, yeah, because your creature is attacking until after damage. So you can have damage be dealt, and then there's kind of like this little cleanup y end of combat step where your creature is still technically an attacking creature. And you can uh, boop, just get them right up, just yep. make them make them block. It's good, good stuff. So this card, very strong, very cool, and yeah, again, it wasn't uncommon in the set. So maybe it makes sense why they had all these like chip mechanics because there's just you couldn't get in with your like three one goblin sledder. You could just cast your cleansing or your inferno to get there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, I think you may be giving them too much credit. To, to imagine <laughs> that they're really thinking about the limited environment with the dark. Yeah, <laughs> no, you have definitely. Like, or you have like six packs to, because otherwise you won't have enough cards. <laughs> no, yeah, this is definitely a joke because th- this was not designed for limited at all. You could not play limited. Th- I imagine limited of this set would be pretty miserable. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, especially After if creatures can't control. attack unless your opponents are in the same colors as you. Yeah. <laughs> Most of your cards are one ones that have a tap ability that don't do anything. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Um, but all of that said, um, this is kind of the section I'm I'm excited about too because this is pet cards. So this is a set me and Nick really like. It is I don't know I've just thought about this set a lot over the course of my life, and there are still some cards that we both very much enjoy from it. Um, do you want to get into your pet cards and like why you like them? Sure. Uh, so I'll start off with Preacher. This is one white white for a 1-1 one, one human cleric, and it has tap, gain control of target creature of an opponent's choice that they control. You can choose not to untap Preacher during your untap step, and you gain control of that creature for as long as Preacher remains tapped. Um, so essentially, uh, you pick an opponent, they will give you their worst creature, and I've always been a big fan of this card because then you can, say, put that creature into a conjurer's closet and keep it forever, or you can sacrifice that creature and then it's, oh, next turn, hey, can you send someone else to my congregation? Like, you just use it like a a very slow, like, the abyss effect or or just a way to slowly gain control of all of your opponent's creatures. Oh, I, and I also like to use it with, like, Rings of Bright Hearth, you know, copy the activation, get two creatures. Um, and there's just a lot of fun things that you can do with this card, and it's uh for three mana, it's a pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. This is one of the cards that um 
I mean, you still play it. I've still seen you play this. You you played it a lot when we were first like getting into the format for sure. Now I have it in Aura. Yeah, yeah. Um, it still always like surprises me because you can get people with it. It's it's kind of like Erratic Portal, where like if they're not paying attention, then you can kind of just like get them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, that's what Preacher has always reminded me of. So it's it's amazing that this card has kind of remained good for as long as it has because a lot of the cards that we've talked about uh either like they were good and they got bad or just were never good in the first place so preachers always impressed me yes uh well with that let's move on to the next card um so this is apprentice wizard one blue blue for a zero one human wizard and it has blue tap add ccc to your mana pool um or rather just add ccc so this is a, a neat little uh, sort of accelerator. It's almost like a palladium, really. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's a three mana guy that essentially nets two mana. And I, I remember using this in like Teferi, Temporal Archmage, because you just want as many permanents as possible that tap for a lot of mana. Uh, and this was just a, a great little support card in that type of list. So blue ramp decks, just be aware of this card. It is, uh, there are some decks that still want it in Commander. Yeah, I I remember like when I was getting into Commander and looking for like mana ramp and all the colors, like what were my options? And I just picked up a bunch of Apprentice Wizards because I was like, oh, this seems good. And it it was. (laughs) That's my story. (laughs) This card's still good. All right, uh, this next one is pretty fun. Uh, this is Season of the Witch. It is black, black, black for an enchantment. And I am going to have to look up the Oracle text. Oh, yeah. So as you do that, I just want to say, like, if you haven't seen this card before, it actually is, like, awesome. Like, the it's Jesper Myfers again, who did the art and um, did a lot of portraits, did a lot of landscapes. But this landscape in particular is, like, a forest, like, right at sunset. Like, right as, like, the sun is about to, like, disappear and the clouds kind of make up this like skull face where the teeth are the like outlines of the trees. And it's so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so rad. Yeah, really moody. But what the card is uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice season of the witch unless you pay two life. And at the beginning of the end step, destroy all untapped creatures that didn't attack this turn, except for creatures that couldn't attack. Uh, so it just forces attacks every single turn. Um, yeah, it has like an upkeep cost of two life, but whatever. There, there are a lot of players that really enjoy forced attacks. There's a lot of decks that are interested in this type of effect, uh, and so if you want to pick one up, it's only a a mere fifty two dollars. Yeah, I don't think this card's ever been reprinted. It definitely has not been reprinted. I just it is it. on the reserve list. Yeah. Yes. Um. So there you go. Uh. But yeah, this card is is rad. Like mm-hmm. ah, so cool. All right, uh, this next one is a really fun addition to mono green decks. It is Gaia's Touch. It's green green for an enchantment. Uh, You can play an additional land each turn as long as that land is a basic forest, and you can sacrifice it to add GG. So this is a great, this is still like a relatively budget card, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of these like extra land drop enchantments like Exploration and Burgeoning uh, are kind of expensive, but... Gaia's Touch is currently two dollars. Um, so if you're playing a mono green list and your lands are basically heavily skewed toward basic forests anyway, um, it's just a, a way to get additional land drops, and then you can always refund it whenever you need a little bit of extra burst in mana. It can kind of, in some cases, it can just be like a ritual, like to cast it on turn two, make an extra land drop, make an extra land drop the next turn, sacrifice it. You, you've kind of just got like seven mana on turn three yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, it's a really neat little card if you've got a heavy green deck and then my last card this is one i think you might have more experience with than me but i always oh, yeah. was a big fan of it um mm. this is city of shadows so it's a land that mm, doesn't tap for mana initially um you can tap to exile a creature and put a counter on or exile a creature you control and put a counter on City of Shadows. And then you can tap it to add X colorless mana to your mana pool, where X is the number of counters on it. So I love to use this as a sort of like a, a third option for like um, Phyrexian Tower or High Market, especially if I was stealing my opponent's creatures. 
I would love yeah. to like uh, threaten something and then just put it under the city of shadows and slowly like accumulate more mana. But uh, what are your experiences been with this card? Yeah, I I've enjoyed it. So I, I have two, I have on the, the opposite end and as playing it. So I had a friend with the Mariak Yuri Barrett deck that basically just stole you know, all your creatures and killed them. Um, and then later on in life, that same friend made a Rubina Soul Singer deck, which also stole your creatures. <laughs> <laughs> so steal your creatures, a city shadows them. Uh, usually by the end of the game, this was tapping for like five or six mana, which is um, pretty decent as uh, as lands go, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, my experience with it was uh, I played it in token list and then i've played it in a, a derevi imperial tactician list and that one would get off the rails pretty quickly because as long as i had enough like colored of mana production you could exile derevi put derevi into the command zone use derevi's activated ability to put derevi back onto the battlefield untap city of shadows so usually what would happen was like i'd have a turn i'd like attack make some tokens or something and then at the end of an opponent's turn, I would go off on City of Shadows, untap, and it would make like three or four mana. So that was always really good. And like I said, in token lists, you can kind of just like keep it around. Like if you're making enough tokens in like white green or like green red or something like that, eat up one of the tokens every turn or two. Um, by the end of the game, this thing was always making like, again, like five, six mana. Um, you usually start using it when it's making two or three mana. And at that point, like it's pretty, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I I've really enjoyed it. I really like playing this still, like to this day in in lists like that. I just happen to not have any of those lists put together right now. So it's a little prohibitive to get now. I I didn't realize this until we were setting up for this episode. But um, this is his. It has joined the ranks of cards over a hundred dollars. So. City of Shadows, uh, I love you, but you might have to get sold off at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely a cool card. All right. Uh, tell us about your pet cards from the set. Yeah, so I'm going to be frank and say these are all cards I started playing when I started the format. Uh, only two of them I still play with to this day, but I just wanted to like have people be aware of them. Uh, the first one is Flood. So Flood, I played in my Mono Blue Ixador Reality Sculptor list, which is Mono Blue Morphs, which I thought was a, a finished deck, <laughs> more or less, <laughs> when I made it. I'm like, we're never going to see another Morph set. And then, uh-oh, here's Konzatard here block. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but Flood is an enchantment. It costs blue. And it says, blue, blue, tap target non-flying creature. So this was just a way to like get around all the Voltron that I was seeing at the time. This was a way to like clear the board so that my like big morphs, the ones that turn into like five fives when you untap them or whatever, can get in there. And I honestly think it's probably fine in some metas still, but I think the flavor was pretty good. I still like the flavor of it, how much blue mana it is, the fact that it only hits like non-flyers, that it like taps them like washes them away for a turn like that was pretty cool the one that i still play with to this day that is is definitely still a pet card is the slug dance it's dance of many mm -hmm. this is a basically a two mana clone um and excuse me as i get up the oracle text on it so i don't mess up the way it is worked because it has definitely changed a few times over the years uh when it enters the battlefield you create a token that's a copy of target non-token creature when it leaves the battlefield, you exile the token. When the token leaves the battlefield, you sacrifice Dance of Many. So kind of they're linked together. Um, and then at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice Dance of Many unless you pay blue-blue. So more or less, this is a clone for two blue mana that you have to continually pay two blue to keep around. But it's a it's still a two mana clone. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it, I've found that just this just has so many angles to it that I've really enjoyed playing it over the years. You can play it as a clone to clone their things. You can play it in like enchantment heavy lists like that you can get back with like Hall of Heliod's Generosity. Um, if someone has like a, uh, a flesh bag marauder on the field, you can kind of like loop it there, like he Hall of Heliod's Generosity it back to play because when the token dies, it dies and kind of use someone else's board to keep the board clear. You can copy commanders with it which was the big use when i started playing when the legend rule was different 
Um, it was basically a two mana kill spell in blue, <laughs> which was pretty crazy. There but it's still also, just really good. Yeah, there is also an infinite combo with it. If you want to hear that. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you want to do you want to talk about that? Sure. Uh, so if you have a Leon a Leonin relic order on the battlefield, um, and you cast Dance of Many and copy the relic order, then you can have your token be a copy of Athena Relic Order. You exile the Dance of Many. Uh, when the Dance of Many dies, the token Leon and Relic Order dies. Dance of Many returns to the battlefield, and you can kind of do the same thing. So if you've got some way to benefit off of like creatures entering or leaving the battlefield or enchantments entering or leaving the battlefield, uh, it just creates an infinite loop. That is really cool. Yeah, man, it's so cool. This card's so cool. It, I wish I had different art. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if anyone does. I'll have to like email Sandra Evering ever everingham mm-hmm. uh yeah that is who did it be like hey what was the uh inspiration what was your art detail yeah <laughs> for this commission she um, became the art director shortly after this that was released actually so oh that's funny yeah she did one of my other cards i'm going to talk about um so this next one is a card i played uh, i have two more pet cards i'm going to talk about so one of them is fissure this was a card that i played a lot when the format started it is a red instant for five mana, three red red. Destroy target land or creature. It cannot be regenerated. Wow. <laughs> red kill spell. It still does work. It's just a really bad rate for what it's doing. <laughs> like there's just yeah. better things to do in red now. Um, but the flexibility went back in the day I used to love about it. And the fact that it is a red kill spell in this like weird, like morbid set, like really tickled me too. I definitely remember running this card in mono red decks like circa 2009, 2010. Um, just because, you know, this was one of the best red spot removal spells. <laughs> yep. Definitely a pet card. I don't think this is uh, one in any power power races, but it's a card that I, I think about fondly and, and I've played a lot of over the years. Uh, and the last card that I still do play every now and then is a card called Book of Rass. This was a card that when I started playing, I literally put into every like non-blue list I had. It is a six mana artifact. It has a single activated ability to pay two life, draw a card. That's it. So just other than the fact that it was six mana, it was like a pretty good rate for like my like uh, white red lists or my like mono black lists when I didn't have like a necropotence at the time and stuff like that that I would just kind of jam this and go for it or or uh, my red artifact lists I would play this all the time and uh, yeah I just I still like this card a lot if you can cheat it out with like a goblin welder or something like that you can end up drawing a lot of cards over the course of the game two life is like not that much when it comes to commander so uh yeah it's a card i played with like probably just cast like dozens of times over the years just just really big fan yeah i've also played this card in in decks that really had trouble or rather color identities that really had trouble drawing cards again this was way back in the day before we got some of our better options like endless Mm -hmm. atlas or whatever but this was this was a card you could play back in the day yeah, I actually, so this is actually a sad story. I might put it back in the deck when we go to uh, Vegas. So if you're going to uh, Magic uh, La- Magic the Gathering Las Vegas, you can say hi, play some games with us, whatever. But um, I actually just recently took it out of my Kirkesh list because I realized that Tome of Heroes basically does most of this card for like much less mana, <laughs> 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 which... Uh, is is kind of sad, but I was literally it wasn't a deck until like a week ago, uh, a week of recording this. So, oh, um, Tomo Legends, yeah, Tomo Legends, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, still, still a big fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings us to I think just the very end here. Uh, do you want to talk about like the, I I would like to do some more of these retrospectives if you all like to listen to them because there's a lot of design things that we can learn about like looking back and comparing that to where we're at kind of seeing where the trajectory of design is going to land. And so I kind of wanted to ask you, like, what lessons do you think, like, modern designers can take from the dark? Uh, I'd say there's two things, like, there's definitely a, a, I think of one good do and one don't from this set. 
or I think the set benefited from having its art, like the magic art director also be the head designer for the set or the mm-hmm. lead designer for the set. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, there's, there's still a lot of problems on like an individual card basis, but really like the tone was so consistent across the cards. Like you look through the dark and, and nothing really sticks out. It's just like unrelentingly bleak and dismal. And I, I really think that Jesper did an excellent job in like crafting this cohesive look to the set. I guess like the the do is think about what your set is trying to evoke and then go through it and try to make sure that like you're you're hitting that note consistently. And then in terms of what not to do, I would just say, well, first off, like you 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 need like mechanics in your set. Like tone can't do all of the heavy lifting because like how yeah. do you describe <laughs> The design of the dark you, you don't like they're there it's all just one ofs so definitely like make sure you have some sort of mechanics like you know mark rosewater always talks about like the key selling points of the set that's really how they kind of like sell their executives on projects and and i think that like realistically that's kind of what you need to be thinking about like what are the mechanics how do you talk about the set as a whole there has to be some sort of mechanical through line in addition to this like tonal artistic through line. Uh, I guess one more don't is, um, but I, I don't think modern designers really do this, but like, okay, a couple, a couple. Uh, okay. I, yeah. I, I, I said <laughs> I was going to do one do and one don't, but I just keep thinking more. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the design and like the fun of playing a card has to come before flavor. You, you just can't like, yeah, you can like replicate, the like some sort of concept perfectly in magic because but you have to ask yourself like is this fun is this worth putting in a deck are you just like showing off how well you can capture this phenomenon or are you like trying to make a card that people will want to buy and play with and then finally last thing if you're unsure about like whether a card is too mean like rather than sort of giving your opponent an out and like letting them control whether it does anything just maybe change the effect or or play test yeah. it or mm-hmm. just just do something other than like giving your opponents control over what your cards do i i hate that yeah i think that that's a really good point is like instead of watering down what you're trying to do like if you can't if instead of like twisting the numbers to make something work you'd have to like literally water it down or give this like weird escape valve then that's a good sign that you might need to like reevaluate the card and see like what is it do I want to do with this card like is this supposed to be like a land destruction spell or is this supposed to be a burn spell like what was my goal with this and kind of re reestablish like the goal for what the card is trying to accomplish and if yeah. the card can't do that if the card isn't going to end up in a place where uh, it's going to do the thing that you want it to do then you just should make a different card (laughs) Mm -hmm. definitely all right Uh, another sort of overall question what is the the lasting legacy of this set what is the dark's influence on magic Mm -hmm. to me i think the dark uh and i've heard mark rosewater kind of echo the same thing this is we've already kind of hit the the greatest strength it's the tone the tonality the the art direction the creepiness the the darkness of it all they really hit on that flavor of it and i think what this has done for magic after the fact is it's kind of in good and bad ways given them a point of reference for like a set that went too far (laughs) (laughs) so like in good ways being like okay this is like an acceptable way to break the color pie and also like this is not an acceptable way to break the color pie to me Mm -hmm. like the legacy of the dark is like it was an experiment with how far you can use tone to push the color pie uh, within the bounds of the color pie. And they've, I think, learned a lot since the dark has come out about what to do here. And the only set that really messed with the color pie more up until this point, there's two that come to mind. It's New Phyrexia, which they're doing on purpose, but with some vision and Planar Chaos, which was never meant to be like an example yeah it was always like what if haha funny and then everyone was like oh but blue has this cool thing and they're like oh god (laughs) yeah oh no what have we done (laughs) like if you don't know like the the joke or the reference like planar chaos just is another magic set and 
people pointed to it as such, but it was not intended to be such, but the dark was. And so mm-hmm. I think they were able to point at the dark and be like, okay, well, what is an acceptable bound for what the color pie can handle? That's my take on the dark. I, do you have any any insight into that? Um, I think that you're you're totally right about like the the success with like maintaining tone has influenced later sets. I don't know if you could have Innistrad without the dark. Mm, that's um, definitely true. And there's some things in this set that have like that like Magic has touched on a lot in successive years, like just the concept of like an evil church. You yeah. know, you've got the Cabal and in Odyssey and Onslaught block, you've got the Orzov on Ravnica. You've got like, you know, some strain like some of the darkness in, in Estrad is like that you know, not everyone in the church is uh, on the on the level. So I think that there's a legacy in terms of like how to construct a set and how to like build the world. Um, and then I, I think that Felwar Stone is just like a hugely influential card. Tormod Script is just like a really influential card. Both of them have inspired tons of later designs. So I, I think those are some of the biggest, uh, biggest effects of the dark. Mm-hmm. I guess what would you, from a design perspective, what would you grade the dark? Ooh, I'd give it, I think anything more than a C would be way too generous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. Like for me, it's like a C minus, you know? Yeah, that's, that's probably where I'm at. Yeah. The, it's just the, the designs are so cool, but they're so non-cohesive and the color pie is just broken all over the place and like it wasn't made for limited. So a lot of the cards like didn't need to look at each other, which I think is actually a bad thing. Because mm-hmm. um, you want your cards to work together, even if it's not specifically in the same set. Like you want to be able to open a pack and be able to put one or two of the cards into a deck that you have. And the dark didn't necessarily do that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think I think at most I would give it a C. It is it is definitely a set that exists. Does it accomplish the goal? Do you think? What would you what in in that regard? What grade would you give it? So uh, accomplish like the question of whether a set accomplishes the goal is going to be different for every set we do because they they all have different goals this one Mm -hmm. the goal was like can we can we maintain a consistent tone throughout the set and and have it be like a dark tone that sort of uh emphasizes horror more than like any other genre or feeling and i i think that was a a great success i would call that like mm, it's a little bit like hamstrung Mm -hmm by the design problems but really it's got to be at least like a b plus or maybe even a minus i was gonna say b plus on that because i think that like the fact that like as a young impressionable human i saw like the art like even just like blood of the martyr which is just like blood coming down the forehead or the eyes of a like this like person staring into the the viewer's eyes like the card is completely not memorable to me at all but like i i remember looking at these cards in like a card shop and i think that like the fallen uncle istavan like mm-hmm. all these things um even even like the one like drake in the set there's a fire drake uh which is not good it's a three mana flyer one red red one two and it has fire breathing but you can only do it once a turn so it can hit you for two or it can hit you for one but the <laughs> art on that card is is like way darker and like grislier than like like it's moodier than most drakes or dragons that we see even nowadays i agree it's like it stuck with me which i mean i think that means that it succeeded but it's not a home run because of the design problems Mm -hmm. and then and then i have a question since it's the this is going to be halloween this weekend when everyone is listening to this which which card would you not want to meet in a dark alleyway uh, on Halloween night? Uh, this is this is a tough one. I'm gonna have to yeah. give it to Uncle Istvan. Oh, Uncle Istvan! Yeah, the classic summon Uncle Istvan. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely he's got the skull hanging off of his axe. That's pretty bad. Yeah, the I mean the flavor tech like for me. Uh, I don't know about you all, but like slasher movies have always been like more scary than monster movies just because like it is 
it could happen. Like, like Uncle mm-hmm. Isvan isn't this like horrible nightmare creature. Uh, he's just like, uh, he's just like a crazy old man with an axe uh, who, will, <laughs> who will run you down and kill you. Um, so that that's got to be my pick. What what's your pick for card you would least like to run into in an alley? Yeah, I've been like struggling with this because I I was thinking about this question and I think. As a card I mentioned earlier, I think it's probably Witch Hunter for a very similar reason. Like if a guy with this hat and presumably mask, but maybe not, like turned the corner and like looked at me in that manner, I would Mm -hmm. probably just poop my pants and and run home. Like Mm -hmm. the the fact that he is is that (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like glaring at me in this way is pretty bad. The the only other one, the, the one that I was thinking of that would be the creepiest, but that like devolves is like Worms of the Earth. If I like turn the corner and then like look down, uh, oh yeah, and saw that, but that's not really a person. <laughs> that would just yeah. be like, oh no, yeah, that's got to be like probably like the most disgusting. Um, yeah, that, I, that, that's a pre- that's a pretty good honorable mention there. Um, I'll, I'll give you some credit for that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, another one you could say like angry mob which is like literally yeah. chasing a guy down an alley <laughs> yes yeah this is the second time we mentioned it angry mob is a card i still see people playing sometimes it is a four mana human <laughs> uh, it is a human yeah yeah and uh it has trample and it's a two plus star two plus star uh it says as long as it's your turn angry mobs power and toughness are equal to two plus the number of swamps your opponents control as long as it's not your turn, Angry Mobs Power and Toughness are two. Urborg Tech, baby. Yeah, no, there's a couple cards like that. Like I think Crusading Knight. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. Anything that scales off your opponent's swamps or I guess forests these days, uh, something to consider. There, there might be a deck there one day mm-hmm. if they have these in enough uh, volume. Yeah, but I definitely agree. If I saw a bunch of these people just chasing me down an alleyway, who knows if I'd get away <laughs> at that point? So yeah, I hope everyone listening uh enjoyed this this is fun for i mean it was fun for me to do I, oh yeah i, I, I had a great time too yeah yeah so uh, this is something that i think if you all like doing going back and looking at these sets uh, we did it a while ago with ixalan because there's a lot of design mistakes and a lot of things to learn with it mm-hmm. but it just seems like a cool thing to do from time to time to like we're, we're such a future focused podcast that like looking back seeing like how did we get where we are i think could be an important lesson um and might be fun for everyone at home so let us know what you think and thank you for listening and supporting us all right with that i'll give a brief thank you to our patreon patrons they are gustav ryan mark rick Raphael, laser charlotte hannah andy dylan james logan roger evan bryce dylan benjamin jamie matthew jason kyle brandon kevin Guidel, jeremy russell dylan leo john john micro troy roxanne Charles, Daniel, Ellie, Leon, Jason, and Kyle. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check them out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.